So the play was both on my screen and somewhere else. If what was shown on stage could potentially infect audience members. I found myself yearning for the specific space. At this moment, one wishes that many politicians should watch theatre. Welcome to the Viral Theatre Podcast, a series of four podcasts based on our hybrid conference on the topic from last year, which was sponsored by the Volkswagen Stiftung. I'm Heidi Liedtke, Assistant Professor of English Literature based at the University of Koblenz-Landau, Campus Landau. I'm Monika Pichak-Frange, Professor of British Cultural and Literary Studies based at the University of Vienna. It would be such a reminder of our common humanity to be able to watch something together while we are all apart. I'd be happy to pay so others can watch for free. Opening up the archive for free or pay what you can would be such a boon. I know there are costs associated with this, but with the livelihoods of so many people being affected, it makes a constant affirmation of our shared humanity. These two comments were posted on the National Theatre's Facebook page in March 2020 by user Ruth Kerr and Adaptation Studies scholar Bernadette Cochane. On March 18th, the National announced first very tentative plans to find alternative ways of making the productions available to audiences in times of lockdown. The two comments struck us as pointing to three central issues that would in fact be characteristic of discourse on theatre in the pandemic in the months to come. First, the fact that the pandemic necessitated a rethinking when it comes to the economies of theatre and the role of theatre archives. Second, that from the outset, there was an overwhelming feeling of solidarity with the theatre-going and artistic community. And third, indeed, that people seem to have realized they needed the arts and the communality of theater more than ever, as it is arts that make us human. The National did indeed launch an initiative called NT at Home in the early summer of 2020, making accessible different productions for free on YouTube and later turned this offer into a subscription-based streaming platform with the same name. Apart from companies streaming their content, content instead of place being another instance of how fleshed out place becomes something clickable, a kind of creativity came to the fore, which as practitioners such as Caridad Switch and Jared Mizoki have recently pointed out, may not be entirely new as companies have included the digital in their work for quite a while now. But against the background of the pandemic, it was a kind of creativity that was endowed with new urgency, one in which companies such as Big Telly, Creation Theatre, This Is Not a Theatre Company, but also bigger institutions such as the Old Vic and the Young Vic, boldly rebelled against the restrictions and repurposed communication technologies such as Zoom, to turn them into stages. All the screens a stage. Viral theatre. Let me tell you how we came up with the idea of the conference. The idea of a joint conference was born about a week before the various European lockdowns in March 2020 at a coffee stand in, 
uh, in the British Library. At a time when, unlike in the coming months, it was still possible to physically go to the theatre. At the time, of course, we did not know that our routines, not to mention art and theatre, would be affected to such an extent. At the time, we were merely, one could say, interested in the variety of transformations that theatre had been undergoing in the last couple of decades due to the intensified digitalization practices, development of Web 2.0 and 3.0, and of course, various infrastructures that go with that, and of course, with the only presence of streaming services. Already at that time, which now seems like a really long time ago, we thought it necessary to consider these issues from cross-disciplinary perspectives, with the aim, of course, to strengthen an interdisciplinary dialogue. Next to the perspectives of theater and performance studies, we also wanted to include perspectives from transmedia studies, cultural and literary studies. And indeed, at the time, it also seemed to us that um, the pandemic had made it necessary to reach out for the expertise of medical and health humanities, especially in the context of issues such as access or inequality in times of the pandemic. Just as a reminder, medical and health humanities are burgeoning dynamic interdisciplinary fields that are positioned at the intersection between medicine, the arts, as well as literary, media and cultural studies, um, and they also draw on social sciences, anthropology, history, philosophy, ethics, and geography. Born in a particular historical and cultural context as a backlash against the technologization and bureaucratization of medicine, and in an attempt to reconsider medical education, medical humanities now covers a number of interdependent goals. The initial highly specific educational mission has been expanded. Amongst the field's many interests, is the analysis and interpretation of the social, cultural, historical, and ethical dimensions of health and illness, as well as medical cultures. And of course, in view of this, uh, we thought that this perspective is invaluable to our discussion. Although in the meantime, theater on site has fortunately become possible again, it would be ignorant and simply wrong to assume that we've gone back to something that can be called normal especially that going back to normal would unavoidably mean going back to old structures of rampant precarity and inequality is simply um, wrong. While recent governmental decisions do not bode well for the future, in our conference that we ended up putting together in July 2021, we discussed the complexities that characterize theater today, the good, the bad, and also the not so pretty sides thereof. We focused in particular on the implications of the concept of viral theatre. In this first introductory episode, we want to provide a brief overview of the histories and meanings of the viral and virality in the context of theatre. And of course, talk about our experiences of digital performances in the pandemic. The three episodes which follow afterwards are spotlights from the conference, each highlighting different perspectives that we took in the discussion. In the second episode, Sarah Beijang, in her talk, Theater Without Theater, Performance Transmission as Translation, introduces the concept of translation to describe the adaptation of theater for the digital medium and highlights the essential but often neglected work of the translator in digital performance. While digitalization might be essential for theater's future, 
the translation of digital theater is also characterized by what she referred to as a monstrous loss. It highlights its own gaps and failures and what gets lost in translation, but also shows what labor and technology is needed to make it possible. Citing Erika Fischer-Lichte's blatant rejection of digital theater, Bei Zhang's talk also asks two key questions for any study of viral theater. First, what is the relevance of liveness? And second, what are the alternative ways and spaces in which liveness can be created? In the third episode, Jane McNaughton, in her talk, The Past, Present and Future of COVID-19, The Role of Medical Humanities, provides some necessary terminological and theoretical groundwork for a discussion of the entanglements of the arts and medical humanities. In her talk, she also introduces us to some inspiring projects and suggests ways in which the arts and humanities can offer translational interventions for the future. And finally, the fourth episode is an edited recording of the final Q&A discussion with Anna Buzinska, Josh Edelman, Lucy Askew and Cornelius Puschke, chaired by Eckhard Vogts. It very beautifully brings together a number of thematic threads that were central to the conference. Because of that, it will not only give you a sense of the variety of voices that we brought together, but also, hopefully, provide a solid foundation for future academic work. Now, before we delve deeper into discussing the concepts and performances you would like to present to you, let me just mention that those of you who would like to read more about the topic will, of course, be able to do so. We are at the moment preparing an open access special issue, the details of which we will advertise very soon on our respective web pages and, of course, on the web page of our conference, postcovidarts.com, and you'll be able to acquaint yourselves with all the papers. Also, do check out our joint paper for a more detailed discussion of today's topics. It's called Viral Theatre, Preliminary Thoughts on the Impact of the COVID-19 Pandemic on Online Theatre. And it was published in the Journal of Contemporary Drama in English in 2021. We're hoping that there will be a bibliography to our podcast series and you can consult both this source and other sources that we'll be talking about. Part one, histories. In the context of our discussions, the viral stands for loss, especially personal loss, suffering and the death toll we have been witnessing in the last two years. It brings to mind the myriad systemic inequalities that the pandemic has exacerbated. It draws attention to the ineffective models on which we have based our economies, healthcare and welfare system. Against this background, it is difficult and not necessarily advantageous to strip the concept off of all the effective connotations. Still, it is necessary to explain how we use the notion. What we mean when we talk about viral theater is a descriptive category that refers to and brings together three conceptual strands. First, historical and theoretical notions of contagiousness in theater. Second, 21st century musings on virality as the condition of postmodern society. And third, the current digitalization of theater, especially accelerated by the pandemic and its attempts to go online and go viral. By expanding on these tendencies, 
and letting them bear on one another, we are hoping to initiate further discussions on the usefulness of this category for the theorization of theatre, but also for the description and categorization of contemporary tendencies in both digital, but also more classical theatre and performance. And as Heidi has just said, if we think about theatre and performance in the historical development, they have always been associated with contagion and contagious emotions, uh, at least since Plato and Aristotle. The former was the first to describe theatrical performance in the language of infection and contagion. If what was shown on stage could potentially infect audience members, theatre was dangerous. In The Republic, Plato links mimesis to infection. Both actors and those watching them are in danger when the actions performed are bad or immoral. In contrast, in his politics, Aristotle counters this claim and presents theatre as a remedy and immunization against immorality and dangerous sentiments. For Aristotle, then, theatre, or watched emotions, functions as immunization to show and see social and political threats, for instance, protects audiences from ignorance and paranoia. At this moment, one wishes that many politicians should watch theater. <laughs> Seen from those vantage points, theater is like an infecting virus that can either be dangerous or lead to immunity. There is a third perspective from which to see it though. Antonia Tor also considers a positive power in disruptive and dangerous forces. Taking up the image of the plague that invades the city, he draws an analogy to the virality of emotions as portrayed on stage. In his view, although he remains admittedly vague about this, quote, like the plague, theater is a crisis resolved either by death or cure. From a human viewpoint, we can see that the effect of the theater is as beneficial as the plague impelling us to see ourselves as we are, making the masks fall and divulging our world's lies, aimlessness, meanness, and even two-facedness, unquote. Summing up then, infection, immunization, and in-depth self-reflection or self-recognition are the three effects of theatre as theorized with the help of the lens of contagion. While questioned by some, the concepts of contagion and virality have proved quite useful to the theorization of theater and performance in times of heightened mediatization and digitalization. For instance, for Miriam Feltendansky, and I'm quoting here from her book, Viral Performance, Contagious Theaters from Modernism to the Digital Age, published in 2018 by Northwestern UP, we can say the following about the potential of virality as a concept of analysis, quote, Viruses, in their many forms, digital, biological, artistic, nearly always function as disruptions in the fabric of daily life, making them natural allies for generations of avant-garde artists who elevated rupture into the primary dramaturgy of radical change. Meanwhile, viral dissemination, with its implication of speed, simultaneity, and multidirectorial spread, draws new technologies into service and pushes to the fore assumptions about how and why we pass ideas, effects, and gestures to one another." Unquote. Following from this, viral theater can be said to evoke and participate in the disruption 
of both extant generic expectations as well as practices of spectating. What is more, viral theater draws attention to the affordances of theater as a medium and as an event. Apart from asking questions about the politics of dissemination, the concept of virality allows us to engage, quote, with the politics of spectatorship, dismantling easy equations between participation and political efficacy and between contagious dissemination and the loss of individual identity and choice, as Felton Dunsky has put it. As a consequence, the concept makes it possible to inspect and rethink the form and essence of theater, its liveness, and the way it engages with the spectator. Plays that deal with contagious emotions, but also plays that we classify as instances of viral theater, append relationships between actors and spectators and draw on viewers' actions and presence. For instance, in creation uh, theaters in Big Telly's Macbeth, spectators were put on the virtual balcony during the coronation. They unravel distinctions between life and mediated art and between performance and its documentation. They draw attention to the invisible circulation and dissemination of emotion and affect. Viral theater disrupts and redefines those constitutive elements of performance that make theatrical experience contagious in the first place. The temporal and spatial co-presence of performance and the respective audience members. Referring to Max Herman's quote, vague, never explained origin of theater as a game in which everyone is a player, participants and spectators, and I'm quoting here from Clear. Fischer-Lichter states that it is, quote, the bodily co-presence of actors and spectators, which allows the performance to come into being. For a performance to occur, it is necessary that actors and spectators assemble for a particular time span at a particular place and do something together, unquote. However, since, as Auslander claims, theatrical liveness emerges from a historical context whose characteristics have changed under the impact of new technologies, quote, the concept of liveness has developed to only refer to temporality at the expense of the once indispensable feature of corporeality. And here I'm referring to Maya Dinkrefer. More precisely, live media depend on configurations of real time and sociality to establish their value. As Van S points out, following Caudry, live media are characterized by urgency, that is the explicit disclaimer that something needs to be attended to now rather than later. In addition, live media can make different selling points explicit by drawing on the particular relation they configure between real time and sociality. These selling points can be authenticity, unpredictability, presence and participation. And again, I'm referring to Panes again. Thus, both performance and live media are characterized by urgency, temporal limitations and participation. Inasmuch as they create experiences, they cannot be contained in either a specific space or time. It is important to remember that the experience can only take place if the spectators play along and accept the invitation to be part of the performance, of course. 
Now, what shape do notions of urgency and participation take in the context of theater produced during the pandemic? A form of viral theater that it has brought about, we argue, manifests itself through an interplay of three aspects. First, the fact that both performers and spectators are in a state of disruption. Second, the willingness and also the expectations on the part of spectators and the use of communication technologies such as the program Zoom. The framework of the pandemic therefore enhances and modifies what viral theater can be and what kind of effects can have oscillating between more platonic notions of dangerous contagion when plays force us to explore questions of co-complicity and the Aristotelian ideal of cathartic emotions when plays or performers reach out to us for moral support. Part two, concepts, Zoom and the politics of spectatorship. The effects of viral theatre are greatly hinged on the viewing situation, so one's domestic space, for instance, and also the affordances of the digital platform used for this purpose. Developing the field of ecological psychology, the concept of affordance has found its wide use across disciplines to denote the potentialities of material artefacts. Following sociologist Ian Hutchby and his notion of the so-called communicative affordances, we consider affordances to be complex entities that are both socially constructed and at the same time co-productive in particular actions. They harbor certain agential potentialities and constrain others. Affordances are functional in a sense that they are, quote, enabling as well as constraining. They are also relational as they draw attention to the way that the affordances of an object might be different for one species than for other. And finally, they also shape the conditions of possibility associated with an action. It might be possible to do it one way, but not another. And I'm referring here to Hatchby and Burnett. This non-deterministic understanding of affordances makes it possible to look at them as sites of both social and technological interaction. Clearly, the affordances of contemporary theatre, understood in terms of a physical performance in a given restricted physical space, differ greatly from the affordances of online platforms and software such as Zoom. While the theatre is a multimedial space, whatever can be done within its confines, so various types of audience actor and audience audience interaction, varies from what is enabled and disabled by the software in place. In their report on digital theatre transformation, in which they examine the effects of the lockdown on the Oxford-based creation theatre company, and its self-transformation that went hand in hand with that, Pascal Ebescher and Rachel Nicholas in 2020 have described in detail the diverse metamorphoses that the company underwent. Among them, Ebescher and Nicholas indicate the changes necessary due to the use of Zoom. While the software has made it possible for actors to interact with audiences in real time, its properties necessitated novel types of preparation and action for the performers. From preparing their own sets and cameras at home, through learning to interact with the laptop camera and being vigilant to Zoom commands, 
to multitasking, spontaneously reacting to technical glitches, to learning to adjust their auditory and physical presence for the new medium. Part 3. Pandemic Memories. The Role of Community. In Viral Shakespeare's, published with Cambridge UP last year, Pascal Ebischer has pointed out how, despite all the inspiration and joy linked to it, it was a big challenge to be exposed to such a multitude of different theatre productions online from different times and national contexts. I have tried to describe this feeling of unsettling as retrospective synchronicity in my review of Antony and Cleopatra when it was shown on YouTube for Antony at Home. Since I had watched Twelfth Night when it was available on YouTube in April 2020, I had quite a fresh picture of Tim McMullen, the actor, in my mind as the lasciviously tipsy Sir Toby Belch. So it made perfect sense to me to see him enter the stage, albeit as Anna Barbus, with a beer bottle in his hand, swaying from one play into the next on my screen. Similarly, thinking of this character in Twelfth Night, reminded me of Oliver Chris's performance in that production as Orsino, which linked up seamlessly, seemingly, with his performance as Oberon in Bridge Theatre's A Midsummer Night's Dream that was shown on YouTube from June 25th to July 2nd, as I was writing my review on Antony and Cleopatra. So the play was both on my screen and somewhere else, creating a dizzying array of retrospective synchronicities. The stream was both a stream of the play and an archive of other Shakespearean plays. Monica, what was one of your memorable viewing experiences of theatre during the pandemic? Well, one of the issues I have always been drawn to, and now especially during the pandemic, of course, still am, um, is the discourse of community building that has often been used in the context of the pandemic theatre. Um, one of the questions which I think still remains unsolved or not really discussed properly has been whether the variety of forms employed by the viral theatre has managed to foster communities. And I think one of the most exciting attempts that aimed at a community building was um, for me, recipe for disaster, a piece of theatre devised by a big teddy theatre company from Northern Ireland. And I'm just going to describe it very quickly rather than talk a lot about how I experienced it. So um, after the registration, the participants received an invitation for a dinner party with a list of ingredients that would allow them, whilst on Zoom, to jointly cook a meal, but of course also prepare cocktails. So once on Zoom call, the participants first witnessed a cookery segment and had to keep pace to get the food done. Uh, they also saw short pre-scripted scenes of a wedding preparation and pre-recorded 1980s disco dance feats. And as the food was cooking and the audience and actors dancing, one could also follow a discussion on Twitter and communicate via WhatsApp. Um, and in a way, I, as a spectator or participant, uh, felt forced to face the challenge of, let's call it, digital immersive theatre. And I think the most interesting elements about that were all the different glitches, technical glitches, but also the glitches as far as cooking is concerned, which happens very often in my case, for instance, for me, heightened the emotionality of the piece where those glitches plus the communal sort of joint cooking plus dancing. And uh, especially during those musing and the dance sessions, they intensified for me a sense of physical co-presence and communal affected experience. 
Mm -hmm. So it sounds almost as if um, the glitches were actually um, that which brought people together and and closer together. As far as the experience of community or communal belonging that you have just outlined is concerned, uh, for me, watching the international online premiere, the phrase itself is already quite telling and indicative of the attendant pandemic, of Benedict Lombay's Lava at the Bush Theatre, which was filmed live at the Bush and then streamed in August 2021, was particularly memorable. Uh, Before the show, there was an interview with the playwright followed by slides such as grab a drink and some popcorn. Um, And during the performance itself, uh, a riveting one-woman show by Ronke Adekuluja, I found myself yearning for the specific space of the Bush Theatre in a quite unexpected way. We could see the audience members in the front rows in the theatre wearing masks and Adekuluja filled out the stage with her bodily presence so energetically that I thought she would jump right out of the screen and grab me by the hand. Mm-hmm. I think that theatres such as The Bush in particular have done um, a very, very important job in times of the pandemic, really, um, taking care of their audiences, even over a distance. They achieved this with their series of videos called The Protest in the summer of 2020, which consisted of six pieces released during lockdown by Black creators in the theater's writing community as a response to the killing of George Floyd and its impact on Black Britons. Lombay's Lava continued this important work in having the protagonist relate her story and journey from Congo to South Africa to Ireland and England and making sure that Black lives keep on being heard even when a particular hashtag has stopped trending. So in a way, um, as you've just described, both community, but also addressing very important issues at the moment right, that we're struggling yeah, with. Yeah, mm. absolutely. Right, we don't have all too much time. So let me wrap everything up very quickly. In this first episode of our Virus Theatre podcast, we've offered a quick overview of the major conceptual debates, as well as the new questions regarding both viral theatre and the recent attempts at theatre's remediation. We have also presented the rationale behind our collaboration and joint endeavours. All this would not be possible without the great contributions of our colleagues who are part of the conference, and of course, those who will be publishing uh, with us in the special issue. And here we would like to thank them once again for their collegiality, their generosity and kindness in sharing their ideas. Yeah, a big thanks. (laughs) Virtual applause. We would also like to invite everybody to, to listen to the other episodes of our podcasts. And if you are interested or if you're working on viral theatre, please do reach out to us. You will find our email addresses online and um, you can reach us on Twitter. My handle is uh, Heidi Luli and Monica, your handle is Hanga Monica. Thank you so much for listening and please do let us know what you think. We hope to continue the conversation. Bye guys. Thank you one more time. Bye bye. Thank you.